Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. The North Sea Barrage and Sea Mine Warfare During World War I On July 19, 1918, the USS San Diego, an armored cruiser, was sunk by a sea mine off the coast of Long Island. The cruiser, which proved to be the only large American warship lost during the war, was a victim of U-156, which had laid a minefield shortly before San Diego's passage through the area. Given the immense loss of life during World War I, and the fact that San Diego was lost so late in the conflict, the ship's sinking might be considered a trifling event. In reality, its loss was part of a much wider naval contest which sought to employ sea mines to gain an upper hand in the war at sea. The Allies and Central Powers employed hundreds of thousands of sea mines during the Great War. U-156 was part of the German effort to utilize their greatest naval weapon, the U-boat, in offensive mining operations. Indeed, U-156 and six other Deutschland-class U-boats had laid mines at strategic locations that stretched from Newfoundland south to Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. But, in an ironic historical twist, U-156 also appears to have become a victim of mine warfare. While traversing an area between the north of Scotland and Norway called the North Sea Mine Barrage in September 1918, U-156 disappeared and was presumed lost to a mine. The North Sea Mine Barrage, which was laid primarily by the United States Navy during the final year of the war, was the culmination of years of World War I mine warfare. Understanding the creation of the barrage is essential to understanding U.S. involvement in the naval war, especially when the barrage is viewed within the context of the Allied effort to stop the German U-boats within the larger context of World War I mine warfare. The overwhelming size of the North Sea Barrage is perhaps the most noteworthy aspect of the operation. The minefield, which had the objective of closing the North Sea to U-boats who were seeking to enter the Atlantic, was stretched between the Orkney Islands located north of Scotland to the coastal waters of Norway, a distance of approximately 240 miles. The number of mines laid was equally impressive. The United States Navy put out over 56,000 mines, and the British mine-laying effort added approximately 16,000. Captain Reginald Belknap, who was responsible for the American part of the operation, acknowledged the grand scale of the barrage. In his account of the mine lane, which was written a couple of years after the event, he described the operation as unprecedented. In many ways, he was correct. The North Sea Barrage is set apart by both its size and ambitious objective. Yet the barrage was not the earliest large-scale mining operation. Throughout much of the war, hundreds of thousands of tons were being sunk by U-boats roaming the seas. The need to prevent U-boat attacks had already pushed the Allies to develop many anti-submarine technologies and techniques. Perhaps most notable among the North Sea Barrage's predecessors was the Folkestone Greigny Mine Barrage. This British mine lane operation sought to close the Dover Straits to U-boat traffic by planting a minefield between Folkestone on the English coast to Cape Grisnez on the French coast. In many ways, the Folkestone Grisnez Barrage was an ongoing experiment in how to effectively employ a large-scale minefield. In the first place, the barrage had been made possible because of the new H2C mine, with which the British began constructing the barrage in late November 1917. More importantly, the British discovered the ways in which a mine barrage could be effectively administered, including the use of day and night patrols and the employment of nighttime lighting to compel the U-boats to travel below the surface in the minefield. 
Scholarly assessment of the effectiveness of this barrage has been mixed. The ongoing British mine lane operations, which stretched from 1916 through 1918, have been described as never successful, and indeed the British were disillusioned by many obstacles to their minefield success. Yet that is only half the story. Confronted with the danger and deadliness of the barrage, U-boats began utilizing a longer route through the North Sea in order to reach the Atlantic. Altogether, the Folkestone Grinet barrage sunk ten U-boats, and eventually U-boats halted all transits through the Dover Straits in September 1918, due in large part to the dangers in the Straits. Given these good results, it appears that what was needed most was the time to effectively develop the minefields. Time could bring recognition of their value. Even before mine barrages were laid, the Central Powers had great success in deploying mines as defensive weapons to protect coastlines and strategic locations. At the beginning of the war, the Germans had been well prepared for mining operations, and the risk of German mines combined with the dangers of U-boats kept the British naval forces from attacking German anchorages, even as the British Grand Fleet decided not to apply a close blockade. Indeed, defensive mines could be a decisive weapon. The most notable example of this fact can be found in the British and French naval effort to seize the Dardanelles Straits prior to the Allied Gallipoli campaign in 1915. The combination of enemy sea mines and land-based howitzers thwarted the Allied attempts to clear the Straits. And when the British and French made a full-scale naval attack on March 18, 1915, three battleships were sunk and one damaged by the defensive mines, and the naval attempt to force the Dardanelles was terminated. In this case, the effect of defensive sea mines was clear-cut. But the wartime circumstances, which led the British and ultimately the Americans to use mines and massive barrages, were quite different from those faced by the Central Powers. To a great degree, British utilization of offensive sea mines was born of an immediate need to combat the U-boat. The use of submarines defied the scientific ability to produce quickly a counterweapon. The sea mine, as a counterweapon, actually belonged to a broader constellation of anti-submarine warfare technologies and techniques, which included such things as underwater nets, depth charges, and detection devices known as hydrophones. All of these technologies were developed during the war and made their own contributions to combating the U-boat. Yet the Allies and the British, in particular, faced a critical situation after the Germans implemented unrestricted submarine warfare in February 1917. Shipping losses mounted and peaked at 840,000 tons during the month of April 1917 alone. This peak in shipping losses just happened to coincide with the United States' entrance into the war on the side of the Allies. Of course, laying minefields was not the only large-scale idea which the Allies implemented in order to contest this devastation wrought by the U-boat. Ultimately, the convoy system, which grouped ships together under armed escort and decreased the possibility. Of U-boats locating and attacking ships was the reason for final Allied success against submarine warfare. Yet that should not slight the historical importance of either the Folkestone-Grenay barrage or the North Sea barrage. As one scholar of sea mine warfare has pointed out, sea mines as a solution are meant to be supplementary to other forces and should not always be regarded as a substitute for other action. In any case, historical context is critical. As the British and Americans planned and implemented their mine barrages during 1917 and early 1918, the success of the convoy system was not obvious. Any analysis of the use of offensive mines during World War I should bear that fact in mind. The North Sea barrage was an American-led solution to the U-boat problem. Even as the convoy system began to be used in May 1917. 
and even as German U-boats continued to sink tons of shipping in the Atlantic, the United States Navy Department was pushing their British allies to support the implementation of a plan to use mines as a barrier against U-boats traversing the North Sea. The creation of the North Sea Barrage, like any other combined American naval operation, was subject to the cooperation and support of both parties, and the British, who had seen the imperfections of their own mine-laying efforts, did not formally agree to the barrage until late October 1917, just before they began work on their Folkestone Grenay Barrage. With this agreement in hand, the Americans could begin the work that eventually led to the U.S. Navy's first North Sea mine-laying expedition in early June 1918. The logistics of the North Sea Barrage's creation perhaps tell the most about the U.S. Navy's commitment to its success. Working from scratch, hundreds of contractors and subcontractors were utilized to build mine parts, and a plant was specially constructed alongside the naval magazine at St. Julian's Creek near the Norfolk Naval Yard, just to load the mines with explosive material. Even with this part of the process completed, the expenditure of time and resources had only begun. The mines had to be shipped to bases on the eastern coast of Scotland, where further work was completed by American naval personnel, who assembled the mines at a rate of 3,500 per week. All of this work had to function smoothly just to support the mine-laying operations. The expeditions which laid the mines were, of course, the most conspicuous part of the North Sea Barrage. Beginning on June 8, 1918, and continuing until October 21, 1918, the U.S. Navy's mine layers, which were sometimes joined by British mine layers, undertook 15 expeditions which planted mines at various depths and sometimes only laid surface mines. The expeditions were tedious events. U.S. Navy Captain Reginald Bucknap described the mine laying as hazardous and subject to constant danger of interruption by the enemy. Primarily consisting of 10 mine layers with protective escorts, the expeditions took a high degree of coordination on the open sea. Clearly, the North Sea Barrage was no irrelevant sideshow in the last year of the war at sea. It was a major operation that required the U.S. Navy, as well as the British naval forces, to operate with skill. But many minefields perform better in theory than in practice, and the North Sea Barrage is no exception to this fact. Scholars have generally painted its results as tepid, or at least inconclusive. Of first importance to note is the fact that the barrage was incomplete when the war ended in November 1918, and is therefore challenging to assess. At the same time, properly measuring the effect of the minefield is not just a quantitative, but also a qualitative exercise. What can be said is that, although estimates vary, the barrage sank approximately six U-boats and failed on the whole to stop U-boat transits through the North Sea. But these facts do not necessarily condemn the North Sea Barrage as a complete failure. In his assessment, Captain Belknap explained, such a minefield is not so much like a Chinese wall as it is like a stretch of rough, treacherous country whose crossing would always be a desperate venture. In the end, a balanced conclusion recognizes that the North Sea Barrage did not have a decisive influence on the naval war, but that with time, it could have posed an increasing danger to the German effort to carry out unrestricted submarine warfare. It should also be noted that scholars have identified a wide spectrum of difficulties, which undercut both the effort to plant the barrage and the struggle to make it a success. Three of these difficulties are of special note. Firstly, the Mark VI mine, which was the newly developed American mine used in the barrage, had been tested very little in its development, and consequently, the mine sometimes exploded accidentally within the minefield and set off a chain of explosions which destroyed many other mines. Obviously, technology needed time to develop to make the barrage more effective. 
At the same time, the barrage was susceptible to the difficulties caused by the need for cooperation of British and American forces and was the imperfect product of competing visions of its layout and purpose. The Americans may have laid the majority of the mines, but that did not necessarily mean that they could control the mine lane policy as a whole. Lastly, German U-boats could pass safely through the unmined territorial waters of Norway until October 1918 when that nation began laying mines. The dangers of the minefield could simply be avoided if U-boats were careful in the selection of their course. Yet despite the fact that the North Sea Barrage caused only small-scale losses and the fact that it suffered from many technological and strategic deficiencies, it must be regarded as a central part of the U.S. Navy's contribution to the war effort. The short existence of the barrage should not overshadow the importance Americans attached to the barrage at the time of the war. The massive mine lane operation was, at least in part, the product of the American desire to quickly terminate the war and had been strongly supported by Franklin D. Roosevelt, who served as Assistant Secretary of the Navy during the war. The North Sea Barrage also represents the culmination of years of sea mine warfare and must necessarily be included in that story of the war. It is often argued that the U.S. Navy's most important contribution to the war effort was its transportation of U.S. troops across the Atlantic to Europe. The barrage was aimed at protecting those troops as well and deserves to be noted alongside convoying as a grand strategy to slow down the U-boats. Simply put, the North Sea Barrage is an important chapter in the U.S. Navy's part in the war at sea. Its legacy would extend into the next war. The U.S. would return to using sea mines during World War II. In Operation Starvation, the U.S. used B-29 superfortresses to lay over 12,000 mines around the home islands of Japan. The North Sea Mine Barrage is an important link in the ongoing history of sea mine warfare, a history that reached new heights of deadliness during World War II. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.